pot party. The trippers, the grasshoppers, the hip ones, all gathered in secrecy and flying high as a kite. Hello. Uh, throughout this podcast, you might notice that the audio quality is poor. Mm-hmm. And that's because I forgot to click the button that <laughs> went from my stupid little Surface uh-huh. microphone to our good uh, Blue Yeti microphone. <laughs> yeah. And so it sounds real bad, but we fixed it. So just, but it's like 30 minutes in. It's like 30 minutes so, in. But, so you, know, you, guys know. you can power past the quality because we have such good content. Yeah, right? sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Howdy, and welcome to Trippin' Through Time. <laughs> the podcast where we talk about the history. Science, culture, and history behind Psycho- psychoactive yeah, that's drugs. Right. Psychoactive I feel like we've been saying drugs. psychedelic most of the time. No. Has it always been psychedelic? Yes, because if it was psychedelic, we wouldn't be talking about tea or nicotine or any of the opioids or the psychotics. You must be drinking different tea. Yeah. We're here in Portland where it's smoky. It's only six o'clock, but it's like dark and can't go outside. Yeah, I haven't seen the sun in two days. You literally can't find it. Yeah. It's about quarter mile visibility. Yeah. The air quality index was at 344 this morning. Mm-hmm. Worse uh, in the world here in Portland. Yeah, yeah, worse Hurts in the world. Hurts your eyes if you go outside, get a headache. It's uh, just the worst. It's, I'm fa- the, it's fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. I'm in a bad mood. Yeah, I. Uh, Feels like uh, recently, just we've been having apocalyptic events. So yeah. first we had like the plague, yep. and then now we have like fire. I don't know, sky is scorched. Yeah, this is what happened in the Matrix, guys. It's really awful. So um, we have a really nice, uplifting podcast though for you today. On the plus side, I kind of feel like he's being sarcastic. I think. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like cozy. Like a little bit, like it's colder. It has been cooler. And like, smoke. I kind of like the coziness, but I would prefer not. I'm just trying to find a nice. I place. see. I'm like the opposite. There's something claustrophobic oh. about having to stay in your apartment. Stuart, it's all about perspective. What's the perspective? You can think of it as claustrophobic, or you can think of it as coziness. It's just a switch in perspective. Tell that to someone like locked in a coffin. Yeah. It's cozy. super cozy. It's that's what they do like at houses when they're small. Uh-huh. They're like it's cozy. It's not small. Uh, well, over in Drink Corner, <coughs> yeah. I have a uh, fresh hop IPA from Breakside Brewing. Mm-hmm. They're doing cans oil. now. They're doing cans. Yeah, that's a, a COVID thing. The COVID cans. Mm. What is it made called? with? I don't really know. Oh, it's neat. It's a cool can. Okay. It's a fresh hop, which is happening this time of year. Pretty exciting. That's it. That's okay. it. That's all I'm gonna say about it. <laughs> it smells good. Okay. Fresh hop, so mm-hmm. hoppy. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Very hoppy. It smells classic. Yeah. Like a hop. Really, really hoppy. You won't like that. It's not as bad as I've had, Stuart. Really? Yeah. Because the bitterness doesn't last long. Oh, to me it does. It like oh. trickles down the back of my throat. It's not good. Mm. Okay. I have mm, a that's... seasonal release um, from Two Towns, one of my favorite cideries, uh, called Tropical Mayhem. It's made with uh, maracuya passion fruit, which I'm a big fan of. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, oh, 9%. Yeah. 
Tangy and loud, tropical mayhem comes in like a wrecking ball to knock out the stress of adulting. Oh, look at this. Oh, wow, that's perfect. That's perfect. (laughs) This is what I want today. Northwest apples, ripe yellow maracuya passion fruit, and Costa Rica gold pineapple come together to create a deliciously complex imperial profile that's ready to engage vacay mode whenever you are. Damn, that's a long description. Yeah. All right. I'm excited to try this. Smells, I can smell the imperialness. Can you? It has a smell to it. It smells like barrel aged almost. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. The, my favorite is the finish. It's this peachy, pineapple finish that's really nice. It's really good. And I cannot taste that it's 9%. Not at all. No, it tastes just like nice little apple juice. This. Yeah. I know what you mean about the Imperial. I can smell that too. Yeah. Something about it. it smells. I don't know what it is. It's a distinct smell. It's a it tastes, distinct smell. It smells like the um, Excelsior has yep. that same smell. And is so does Imperial? the, yeah. And yeah. so does the Imperial. Um, the Bad Apple. Par- Paradise and the Bad mm-hmm. Apple. Yeah. Yeah. It's they really all good. have the same smell. I, I my, my thing is I wish Cideries did ciders with like less apple yeah i know it's apple cider but it's like so apple forward yeah i think the strawberry one we liked so much was almost Mm -hmm. i don't get why cideries do this and maybe it's just because it's cheap god damn (sighs) you almost knocked it over um but like it's always almost always literally you look at the ingredients it's almost always like base of apple then they add in notes right like why can't it just be fucking I, would that just be wine then? Like, can you make wine? cider from other fruits? Like, is raspberry cider, if it was just all raspberries, would that be wine? I don't know. I'm pretty sure the strawberry haze one was, like, strawberry cider. See, so I think it's better, um, but... Or not, I think it's better to have yeah. the strawberry. Yeah. yeah, it's really good, though. Anything else we want to mention? I think that's about it. We might have a secondary one when I review the raspberry. Mm-hmm. Might go through this pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ready? Yeah. In 1892. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is episode 26. 26. And the title is what, Stuart? Give it a title. That's going to give it away. They'll they'll know the title because I'll I'll going to give it away. Oh, because you're like building up. Yeah. Well, you'll know what it is in the first. Oh, okay. So so this is episode 26. Stuart's history hole? I guess, yeah. It could be Kinda. a history Is hole. it your... Um, a thought slot? <laughs> slot? <laughs> thought slot? I don't really know what it is. Okay. We'll, we'll figure it out after. All right. <laughs> no cute labels? No cute labels. All it's right. too sad. Okay. Uh, in 1892, medical doctors George Frederick Bingham and John Purdue Gray in Manhattan created a company called the... Purdue Frederick Company. Oh, God. We're doing Purdue Pharma? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. In 1952, the company was sold to other... I don't really know what it did in those 60 years, but it was sold to other medical doctors named Raymond and Mortimer Sackler. Oh, the Sacklers. Who still own and operate Mm -hmm. Purdue. I'd like to give them a Sackler. The company focused mainly on selling earwax removal and laxatives. Uh, and I should. I, That's I know. when I think of the Sacklers, I want to think of shit now, my asshole, <laughs> yeah. and uh, getting black, 
goo from the innermost part of my ear out. Yep. I like that. I want to everyone make sure to associate that. Yep. This company, still owned by the Sacklers, still ran by them, it became known as Purdue Pharma in uh, around 1991. Oh. Pretty late. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when the company kind of refocused and decided to focus mostly on pain management medication, calling themselves a pioneer in developing medications for reducing pain, which is a principal cause of human suffering. Oh, that sounds so nice. So I don't really know how to structure this, so I'm, I'm going to run down kind of a timeline of some of the things Purdue Pharma did in the 1990s and early 2000s. Sure. And I, I'm not sure if we should talk about the end product first so it kind of makes more sense, or just run through it. I think... I don't know how... I mean, it's obvious to me what they did, but yeah, I I'll watched go ahead. a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of so. people might not know. Purdue Pharma basically sold Oxycontin. Yeah. And is one of the main reasons we have an opioid epidemic yep. currently. Yep. And this is kind of how it started. Yep. So between June 15th, 1993 and April 15th, 1994, Purdue, Purdue Pharma conducted a clinical trial in older patient, patients with osteoarthritis. Uh, and this was to test the safety of their new drug, Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. Contin or cotton? Uh, depends on... Uh, so it flipped back. It's so oxycodone mm -hmm. is the the stuff, like the um, actual uh, drug, oxycontin or cotton, mm -hmm. however we want to say it, is their marketed. Gotcha. Yeah, it's their name brand. Um. So this is their new drug, oxycontin. Yeah. Con it used one hundred thirty-three patients, testes. Uh, only 63 completed the trial. 82% of the patients said that they had some sort of negative health-related uh, symptom as a result of this oxycodone 82%? 82%. Do you know what they were? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, however, probably constipation. Probably. And these were older people. Yeah. However, Purdue concluded that the study demonstrated that controlled-release oxycodone, oxycodone, which is their drug, uh, is a safe and effective analgesic for the control of osteoarthritis-related pain. Are you going to go into a little bit about why they were pushing this? Thing? No, maybe you could talk about okay, it. Okay, so like, I got this a lot from, I don't remember when, but like, so oxycotton is, or like oxycodone rather, is not new. Right. Um, it's this, Purdue wanted to make money, and the way to do that would be make a slight modification to the drug. Right. So their modification was make it extended release. And one of the big problems that made this so freaking addictive is that when you had it, it was supposed to last for 12 hours, and right. it would only last for like eight. Mm. Um, but Purdue pushed it over and over again. And so, like, you were kind of in this, like, fugue state of, like, still having pain, but your doctor wouldn't give you more because Purdue says, like, oh, you can't do that, mm. even though it's up to the doctor's discretion. Mm. And it's just a screwy thing. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole uh, big thing with this is, is it's extended release yeah. oxycodone, basically. Yeah. Um, so that was in um, June and April of 1994. How's that, Sophie? Is it good? Can I try it? Can we pause? Sure. Beep. On December 29th, 1994, 
the sales and marketing executive of Purdue Pharma named Michael Friedman, who later became the CEO, sent a memo, memo marked very confidential to three members of the owning family of Purdue Pharma. Uh, he outlined the planned marketing strategy saying, quote, our current, um, our current capital drug, S-Contin, which I think was what they were calling their uh, yeah. Oxycontin. Sure. A business has created a, fa a franchise with certain physicians who routinely write prescriptions for the drug. These family physicians, these family physicians, general physicians, and internists may be the bridge that we can use to expand the use of Oxycontin beyond cancer patients to chronic non-malignant pain. The market, he noted, that accounted for 68.7 million prescriptions a year. So basically, he's saying that at first, this drug was only for cancer patients, mm -hmm. and he's saying through doctors and family practitioners, mm -hmm. we can sell this drug to other, like, oh, my back hurts, things like yeah. that. And do keep in mind, like, it's very illegal for doctors to actually get any input from pharmaceutical companies. Is it really? Yes. And it's against the ethical code of doctors, yeah. and uh, they still do it. Yeah. And... Um, it's just pretty sick and I mean just you reading that is like like oh you're just a big fat drug dealer aren't you yep yep uh, March 31st 1995 which is on the eve of the launch of hydro oxycontin into the US market there was a memo that said that they did not want oxycontin to just be for cancer pain and they stressed that the twice daily dosage of oxycontin is one of the most important benefits of it on May 6th 1996 uh, executives of Purdue Pharma met with the Geneva University Hospital in Switzerland in an effort to enlist influential doctors to help them conduct a study on Oxycontin. They met with a doctor named Pierre Daré, who was an important person in the Swiss medical field, and he raised some pretty big concerns about Oxycontin. He said he would never allow this drug in Europe. Um, he said that back pain is not a suitable uh, indication for opioid use, which is what they're asking. Like, can we use this for back pain, chronic pain like that? And he said this this would not be suitable. Um, his other objections that were considered uh, important was he noted the information about the abuse and addiction potential versus other op opioids because of the rapid onset action of Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. It's very potent. So this is right around when they were releasing it. They're getting wow. told by doctors that, hey, this might not yeah. be best for chronic pain. This might yeah. have some addiction issues. Mm -hmm. When you think about chronic pain, you need to remember that chronic pain mm -hmm. means that you need chronic solutions. True, yeah. And so having a drug that is fast-acting and kills all your pain and is highly addictive right. and wears off after use over time right. And what's the, not a good idea. what's like the tolerance buildup of, of it's high right? it's it's very high so would it even still work after like two years of using it um I don't know I think it might still work um but it's almost like you just have no I just I think you just have to take it mm. to like keep the symptoms at bay right like it barely works right. Because I've I've heard interviews with like heroin addicts yeah. who say they take heroin just to feel normal and like they're you wouldn't even know they're on it because and that's kind of the same thing with right. yeah yeah but like that's a big thing is like we don't know how to deal with chronic pain mm. so this will be fun 
on October twenty third, nineteen ninety six. And I should mention all these emails and memos were released later as part of a uh, lawsuit mm -hmm. that we'll, we'll mention. October twenty third, nineteen ninety six. There was an email exchange between Richard Sackler, who's the main owner. Mm -hmm. Sackler. Richard Sackler, a real oh Dick Sack. Dick Sack, a real oh, Dick Sack. Oh, okay. He's a he's awful. Uh, and Can some we call of his, him Dick Sack? Yeah, now? we'll call him Dick Thank Sack. Thank you. <laughs> and some of his executives, and he deserves this, you'll see. Uh, talking about the cost-effectiveness of dinner programs with doctors. Mm, all just illegal. Yeah, which is basically where they take doctors and wine and dine them and mm -hmm. say, hey, maybe you can uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sell some of our products. I just took ethics training uh -huh. at my medical institution. Yeah. And we cannot accept anything more than, I think, 50, or no, it's even less. We can't accept anything. Right. Um, and the one situation, like, I clicked yes to, and apparently was okay with cookies from a patient. Mm. So I guess I can't do that. This might have been different because they weren't getting anything of actual value. No, it says you can't go to really? a dinner. Really, can't go to dinner? Nope. Jeez. You have to refuse that. I wonder, was that was that the case in 1996? I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, I, there was this clear situation. It was like, uh, somebody comes in and asks you, uh, they're paying for dinner. Right. And it's like, not ethical. You're not allowed to do it. Wow. So one of the executives at Purdue wrote Richard Dixack yeah, and uh, <laughs> asked, hey, are these dinner programs financially viable? Do they make sense? Dixack replied it by saying, quote, <laughs> Physicians who attended the dinner programs or the weekend meetings wrote much more or wrote more than double the number of new prescriptions for Oxycontin compared to the control group. Isn't it sad that doctors, the people that are supposed to be some of the most shining gems of society, yeah. are so easily corrupted by like lobster? Yeah. <laughs> by, a, like, by a dinner French bread. <laughs> and a fancy dinner, yeah. 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 Uh, he said weekend meetings had a great impact. Uh, new prescriptions for ox, or they uh, impacted new prescriptions for oxycontin by a factor of two point one six and two point six two. So he had this all worked out. When we yeah. came for a weekend dinner, they prescribed two point one six to two point six two times more oxycontin. When people start running stats on human behavior without their knowledge, that's what psychopaths do. Yeah. Well, he's certainly Dick Sachs a psychopath. Yeah. We should have a song. Dick Sack is a psychopath. <laughs> it's really good. Seems nice, doesn't it? Uh, on January 25th, 1999, a memo from the sales team at Purdue Pharma showed that the sales numbers, uh, or were told that their sales bonuses are based on basically the incentive for selling Oxycontin over other Purdue Pharma products. Wow. So they got more commission. And it's weird that there's salesmen for a pharmacy company, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird, but no. I mean, all pharmaceutical companies have it. That's crazy. <laughs> like, they're not doing anything that the other pharmaceutical companies aren't doing. Yeah. They just happen to be pushing a drug that's more damaging than the other ones and can be prescribed to more people. So, like, you have an antipsychotic. Right. We were talking about the, what was that one? Era Abilify, Abilify. yeah, yeah, and so like that is like pretty clear indication, right? Mm -hmm. To be antipsychotic, you have to, or you to be psychotic, you have to meet DSM five criteria, right? Um, and it's pretty difficult to, and usually to get that, you need a psychiatrist, um, or you know some uh, some mental health nurse practitioners can do it now, but the thing with chronic pain is 
anyone can prescribe. Right. Like that, you know, like a primary care physician, you know, right. like anybody can do it. Um, and so it's a lot easier. And also there's no clear criteria for chronic pain. Right. You basically ask them on a scale to one to this it's incredibly painful. How's your pain? And it's something you could fake pretty easily. Oh, too. sure. Like if you're saying having horrible back pain, easy. it's hard to go and look. You Are can't. You, really? yeah. you can't. And so, like, that's a big thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, sets them apart. Yeah. It makes them worse. <laughs> but it blows my mind that there's salespeople for, you know, sure. like the demand should be, you know, shouldn't have to be. Sold. There shouldn't be demand. Right. There should be, hey, this is available. Right. We made it so you can help people. Right. And then the doctors decide. Yeah. But that's not how it works. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I grow older, I'm pretty young still. Mm hmm. Wow. <laughs> I know. I'm getting old. Uh, you know, capitalism and the idea of the, the almighty dollar yeah. is so invasive and it's sad to me. I mean, I can even see it in my research where it's like, oh, wow, they got really cool results. Mm -hmm. How'd they get them? Oh, they have a $1.5 million machine. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the memo to the salespeople at Purdue, they said, quote, your priority is to sell, sell, sell Oxycontin. End quote. Sell, sell, sell they have Oxycontin. Three cells. <laughs> Says Dick Sackler. <laughs> Dixon. Uh, uh, and they said, highlight the advantages of, of Oxycontin, especially for use in the elderly population. Wow. Um, Why do you think the elderly specifically? I'm not sure. Because it's comorbid with uh, antipsych or with chronic pain, or is it that the problems aren't going to show up because they're just going to die? But a bit of both, but I think <laughs> mainly because elderly have more chronic pain. Right. And they're trying to market this as a chronic pain drug. Right. I don't have any chronic pain. Sorry. Consequences will go away if they die in 20 years. That's so. true. Oh, five years. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> On November 30th, 1999, a sales representative emailed a uh, sales representative at Purdue emailed a uh, executive at Purdue about the growing concern among physicians about the reports of people abusing Oxycontin. No. The sales executive wrote, quote, while many salespeople have uh, sold controlled release opioids is having less abuse potential. The current situation has put us in an awkward situation. I feel like we have a credibility issue with our product. Many physicians now think Oxycontin is obviously the street drug all drug addicts are seeking. Sure. So he's, they're, you know, salespeople are realizing, hey, this is like, we're creating a street drug issue mm -hmm. with our drugs. Can I say something real quick? Sure. I got my wisdom teeth taken out. Yeah. Um, two years ago. I remember. And they said to me, hey, Randall, I want you to take one of these a day every four hours um, as long... One a day every four hours? No, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Up to... I think it was up to two a day. Mm -hmm. Up to two a day, like, you know, like, after a certain amount of time, if you're still feeling pain, take another one. Mm -hmm. It was Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, they, so, and they said, take this for a week, no longer. Mm. And so that worked out to at most 14, 14. pills. They gave me a prescription for 30 pills. I was given 30 as well when I got my wisdom teeth mm -hmm. out. I think that's just what they do. And I know for a fact you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, it has to be a month's supply. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. not a thing. Yeah, I've been prescribed like four antibiotics. I know, so, you know. yeah. Yeah. And so, 
I don't get that. I just don't get that at all. I don't all. get it either. I don't get why you would do that. Yeah. Um, especially if you know the abuse potential. Yeah. I think I was given hydrocodone. What's the one that's mixed with acetaminophen? I, uh, hydrocodone is. Yeah, that's what I, I think was a given. lot of them are. Which is, it had 500 milligrams of acetaminophen. Yeah, rip your liver apart. That's so bad. Mm -hmm. And I took like two a day, sometimes three. And you were Jesus. drinking. No, I'm <laughs> I was like 18. Um, on August 3rd, 2001, there was actually a task force called the Kentucky Oxycontin Task Force. The Kentucky Oxycontin Task mm -hmm. Force? K-O-T, COT. Uh, and it was formed specifically to combat Oxycontin. Why does the government always make these task forces? Force? They don't do it jack yeah, shit, no. any of them. And That's guess like who was like their main uh, helper on the task force? Somebody from Purdue. Purdue. Oh, Purdue Straight themselves? Straight oh, they didn't even they didn't even <laughs> try to go through a secondhand nope. person. All Purdue right. Pharma said we're going to commit time, money, and assistance to your tax. Force. I just love that companies are so good at um, uh, policing themselves. They're so <laughs> responsible, aren't they? I just see it. In every company, and they must just be the most responsible people. You Don't know? you love when you hear, like, hey, we're conducting an internal investigation? Yeah. It's oh, like, good, good. I'm sure you'll come up with everything that's yeah. correct. Yep. Uh, January 3rd, 2003, a Purdue Pharma position paper argued against requiring prior authorization for the prescription of Oxycontin, which I think is basically an insurance thing, but it yeah. would, it, I'm not sure what prior authorization is, but it sounds like it would make it harder to be prescribed Oxycontin. Prior authorization means literally that. Like before it can be prescribed, you have the doctor has to contact your insurance and give a very good reason to why you need that drug. I see. If and if the insurance companies say no, you can't do it. Right. And they basically said that if you make us have prior authorization, you're limiting this vital, they said vital pain management resource to millions of people, blah blah blah. Mm. When in reality it would probably make it make fewer people prescribed it and but so all this kind of goes to show i really wanted to show the marketing how this drug this addictive drug was marketed mm -hmm. and i wanted to show that the people of purdue especially people like dick sack and mm -hmm. richard Thank friedman you. knew and about dick it. friedman and dick friedman knew dick about fried. there you go Thank you. it's negative effects <laughs> Oh, Clara. <laughs> She's like laying down, but her eyes are just bugging out. <laughs> like she can't move her head. Uh-oh. Oh. Um, that's funny. Yes. So I just wanted to point out the marketing aspect. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to mo point out that the marketing was working. In 1996, they made $48 million in revenue off Oxycontin. In 2000, they made nearly $1.1 billion. Wow, that's uh, 100, no, what is that, 1,000 fold? Yeah, something like that. Right? 10 times. 10 times. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about the opioid epidemic currently happening in the United States. Sure. So this really rose during the 1990s as a result of companies like Purdue Pharma who were pushing these opioids and using aggressive marketing tactics, which is pretty unprecedented. Um, the epidemic takes the form of both prescription pills, such as Oxycontin, as well as street heroin. Mm -hmm. But it should be noted that 80% uh, of heroin addicts began by abusing prescription opioids. That's from yes. the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Yeah, this is a super 
interesting aspect is that you see all of these you know they always say like marijuana is a gateway drug or whatever yeah. right yeah. i know it's a gateway drug but prescription opioids yep. in fact four to six percent of people who are prescribed prescription opioids will turn to heroin wow that's also from the national wow. institute of drug abuse hey we got this new painkiller but four to six percent of you you're gonna get hooked yep. on heroin and that's a pretty scary stat when you consider that in 2015 91.8 million american adults were prescribed pain medications you did the math say that again in 2015, 91.8 million American adults were prescribed pain medications. Okay, so let's call that 100 mil. Yeah. So the six, let's take the higher number, 6%. That's uh, 600,000. 6 million. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> Which seems to me a little high. I don't think we have 6 million. 4 to 6 million. Yeah. You don't think um, it? We do. Yeah, and I would say a lot of those 91 are people like you and I who were prescribed it for... Um, sure, one time right. kind so of I th thing. I, I think that... I don't know, actually, where that that 4 to 6% might be people who are long-time Chronic opioid users. I'm not sure, though. I should have looked that up. I'm sorry. It's okay. So what makes this an epidemic? Two demerits <laughs> for you. <laughs> what makes it an epidemic? In 2015, there were 50,000 opioid overdose deaths. In 2016, that's going to rise to 64,000. In 2017, which is the most recent year I could find data, it was around 70,000, rising steadily every single year. Cool. Uh, as the years progress, too, more and more of these deaths are being attributed to synthetic opioids, such as fentanyl. Mm -hmm. It's actually becoming a huge problem. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of people. Yeah. 50,000 people a year. We're, we're in this coronavirus, which mm -hmm. is deadly, mm -hmm. and it's killed nearly 200,000 people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot worse than this. It is. That was a bad comparison. Yeah, was a really bad comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but this is every year yes. for 20 years, yes. basically. And I, I don't, I highly doubt that that is a representative number. Right. Um, I don't know how they're getting these, but like I'm sure a lot of people die, and it's not recorded because... It's not recorded as this, right? As opioid. And then, and then these numbers, you know, nationally are bad. But when what's really bad is it? It's really affected certain states, cities more than others. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the worst is actually New Hampshire. What's going on with New Hampshire? I don't know, but they are having a crazy bad wow. time with opioid crisis. It's wow. like 132 per 100,000 people die of an overdose wow. in New Hampshire. Wow. Um, and these numbers, just to kind of put them in perspective, are more than, so yearly, are more than the amount of people that die in car crashes. Wow. Okay. Which is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. So who is this epidemic affecting? Right. Um, addiction and overdoses are overwhelmingly among non-Hispanic whites and Native Americans, especially Alaska Native Americans, well, have one of the highest rates. Wow. Um, however, an interesting trend has been happening, and they say as around 2018, these trends started to change, according to the National Institute of Health, and they noticed that more young white female women were being prescribed opioids. Hmm. And they think this is probably because there's some kind of implicit bias in the prescribers who think that young white female women are less likely to abuse opioids than old I see. You know, crackhead looking dudes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, but that's not true. Anybody can abuse old Sure. Opioids. It doesn't matter if you're rich, no. poor, black, white. Drugs don't discriminate. They man. do not discriminate. 
especially a drug like an opioid, which is so addictive. Mm -hmm. um, so this kind of seems gross to me, but you kind of have to talk about the economic impact of sure. the opioid epidemic because yeah. they are big. Um, a 2016 study showed that the cost of prescription opioid prescription opioid overdoses uh, in the United States in 2013 was about 78.5 billion dollars, most wow. of which is attributed to healthcare and criminal healthcare, criminal justice spending, and lost productivity. Mm -hmm. Healthcare, criminal justice. So you're spending a lot locking people up, police task forces. Mm -hmm. And then I guess lots of people don't work when they're on the streets. I just think it's so funny that like, it's very clear to me that the pharmaceutical company, take Purdue as mm -hmm. an example, um, it's clearly their fault. Mm -hmm. And it's not the people's fault. But then when we see them overdosing on the streets and using heroin, we turn to them and say, you're a criminal. Mm -hmm. And we're going to lock you up and we're going to spend even more money mm -hmm. on something. You're like misdirecting yeah. your resources. Yeah. Like, that's so fucked up. Yeah. The government's supposed to protect the people and they're literally just like ganging up on them. And I don't want to get too political, but I'm going to because I'm pissed. Mm -hmm. uh, Sophie and I were reading about the guy who's running for governor of Washington State, Lauren Culp. Is Culp? His name. Uh-huh. Lauren. His name. I he get it. Shocked by I'm it. not shocked. I've got <laughs> a guy couple, named Lauren. I got a couple Laurens. And he was talking about how his solution to the homeless and drug abuse crisis is to be strict and lock down and arrest people. They say he says this, you know, touchy feely that's thing so dumb. doesn't work. Yeah, that's absolutely dumb. That's dumb. so dumb. And he says cracking down on the uh dealers, which I find amusing, because who are the dealers? Purdue yeah. Pharma. Okay, crack down on the dealers. Yeah. If you uh, you if you uh, identify them accurately. Yeah. Yeah. So by 2015, this epidemic was worse. Oh, sorry. I have a I have a slogan for. Uh, we're not gonna say it over again. No, we'll just mention. I just realized we were not recording with our good mic. Yeah. So we have <laughs> it plugged in and everything. <laughs> we're talking into it. And old Stu over here has the option and audacity to his Windows Surface. <laughs> yes, which is like a foot away from us. Yeah, it's going to be good. Sorry so I think that, the guys. audio quality just increased a hell of a lot. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Um, Oops. Uh, oh, I have a slogan for yeah. um, uh, Lauren Cope. Yeah. Let's not cope with it. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. His last name is Culp, though. Yeah, let's not Culp with it. Okay, okay. Nice. People know it. Yeah, people know it. Let's make some t-shirts, guys. <laughs> um, in 2015, the epidemic, obviously, is only getting worse. Uh, the White House in November, on November 20th, 2017, said that in 2015 alone, the opioid epidemic cost the United States an estimated $504 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. That far exceeds the profits. Yeah, right. It sure if does. You're, uh, yeah. like, if you're a heartless bastard and you're uh, just concerned about money, federal yeah. government-wise, I wouldn't let Purdue do what they're doing no. because it costs me money. It doesn't make like, sense. Even if I don't care about yeah, anybody. You're costing us money now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the... Oh. oh. Whoa. 
Nice catch. The attempted... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> the attempted crackdown. Uh, in 2010, the United States government began cracking down on pharmacists and, pharmacists and doctors who were over-prescribing opioid painkillers. Mm-hmm. However, there was an unintended consequence. Can you guess what this is? Cracking down on pharmacists and doctors that were over-prescribing. Mm-hmm. Big unintended consequence. I don't really know. People couldn't get their prescription opioids anymore. Oh, sure. I mean, so what do they do? Right. Go to turn to heroin. Turn to heroin. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, they're so fucking stupid. Uh, to be honest, though, I wouldn't have... Well, I, I thought th- about it for like I a mean, day. I mean, you told me. I didn't yeah. think about that. Exactly. But, I mean... I, if I'm making this giant decision, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to think about it drunk for five <laughs> seconds and go, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, I would put more thought into it and probably come up with that. <laughs> mm, that's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't think about it. They must have been drunk. <laughs> probably Obama. Obama. Um, in 2010, the Controlled Substances Act was amended in order to implement si- implement programs such as the Government Take Back Program, through which people could return controlled substances from household or long-term That's care like facilities. That's like that crazy guns for toys thing. Guess how popular that was? was not at all. Really? Who wants to return their opioids? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Or is it toys for guns? No. <laughs> Cash for cars. No, it was guns for toys, man. Was it? Like you'd give them a gun, they give you a toy? Yeah. Or you give them a toy, they give you a gun? I don't know. Uh, in March of 2017, President Donald Trump appointed a commission. Sorry, what? <laughs> President Donald Trump. Remember him? I just don't like hearing it. Isn't it weird? Sorry. It's weirder to say. <laughs> appointed a commission on the epidemic chaired by Governor Chris Christie. Oh, really? He agreed with the commissioner's report that they released a few weeks later that uh, the opioid epidemic was very bad, and he declared a national emergency okay. for the opioid crisis. I don't disagree. Yes, seems like that's a good thing to do. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about the legal actions taken against Purdue Pharma. We mm-hmm. can finally see old, what's his name, Dick... Dick Sack. Dick Sack get taken down, right? Nope. So in May 2007, the company pled guilty, or it's actually pleaded guilty, but I don't like saying that. It's pleaded Pleaded guilty? Pleaded is the past tense. Yeah. That's the same thing as when I read these papers and they say these data. Oh, I don't like that either. But even though it's right, it yeah. just sounds wrong. Like, this data represents? Yeah. Nope, that's wrong. Because data is These plural. data represent. Yeah. It's f- weird. So yeah. they pleaded guilty to uh, misleading the public uh, of OxyContin's risk of addiction and agreed to pay $600 million dollars. Which That's is, nothing. No, but it is sadly one of the largest pharmaceutical settlements in the United States history. The company's president, top lawyer, and former medical chief pled guilty as Sorry, individuals. How much did you say it cost the federal government estimated? Five hundred four billion. Okay, and how much did you just say? Six hundred million. Yes, and they made at least three billion in that year. And they're still a functioning, fully functioning company, correct? Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. So the company's president, top lawyer, and former medical chief pleaded guilty as individuals to misbranding charges. Wow. Um, and uh, agreed to pay a total of $34.5 million in fines between the three of them. 
and they were also sentenced to 400 hours of community service. Not 400 hours of community service. Yeah. That's like the amount you need to do to get into medical school. Or To volunteer. And by 2007, they probably killed around 150,000 Americans. Mm -hmm. Hey, what happens when one guy shoots a person? He's sentenced to life. Yeah. Or what happens when one guy kills millions? Yeah, 400 hours of community service. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> or the one guy who sold two <laughs> joints to an undercover cop and got 20 years. Right, 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 right. Hey, <sighs> I don't fucking get it, Stuart. <laughs> me neither. Can you explain it's, to me? I can't. Can you? I can't. Please? Please? <laughs> so as of August 18th, 2020, quite recently, um, 49 states were suing Purdue Pharma. The only state. How not many states we got? Fifty. <laughs> one wasn't Oklahoma, and what? this is only what are you because doing, Oklahoma? only because they had already reached a settlement with oh, them okay. previously for two dollars. <laughs> the overall suit is for two point one five trillion dollars. Okay. Well, now we're talking. <laughs> You're right. Now we're talking. Right. Um, however, a couple months earlier in 2019, Purdue filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and oh. this was basically to get out of. Uh, these lawsuits hey you know like a monopoly in the capitalist society where there's a get out of jail free card Mm -hmm. it just should be called chapter 11 (laughs) right right i can't file that can i uh no i think only Mm -hmm, companies can yeah okay so the bankruptcy for life is that what you're telling (laughs) me that's right okay cool uh, the filing invoked an automatic stay of civil litigation against the company so they could not be litigated against why why not because we're bankrupt. But uh, why is this a thing, um, Stuart? And weirdly, the Sackler family also was granted a stay of litigation. Oh, really? So they can't be held personally Well, what a weird coinky dink. <laughs> How do you think that worked out, yeah, huh? I don't know. Um, oh, God. Fuck, fuck it. Yeah. If they win their uh, appeal, which they're likely to do, the Sackler family will be shielded from all future claims uh, of criminal liability. Personal why criminal why liability. would they win their appeal? Because it's because they country? are pumping millions of dollars into this. I see legal defense I and see. money is power. Um, oh God! So the Sackler family though now. did offer a payout of three billion dollars in cash over seven years oh isn't that cute which is over seven years can't they do it all at once they had to do it over seven years yeah and this is a teensy fraction of the amount they've made from the sales of oxycontin yeah in december of 2019 an audit from well i know why you're depressed now why'd you do this i know i've been doing this all day why'd you do that in 2019 in december 2019 a audit from a company called Alex Partners, who was hired by Purdue for guidance of Chapter 11 restructuring, said that the Sackler family... Hey, when you file bankruptcy, how is it that you can restructure? Because that's kind of what Chapter 11 is. You're restructuring your company mm-hmm. to pay off certain debts and move sure, things around. but there's no paying off. No. In fact, they found that the Sackler family withdrew $10.7 billion from Purdue uh, before they... Re- began to receive legal scrutiny like right before wow dick sack dick sack really a dick big sack. dick sack the office of the new york <clears throat> attorney general also saw that the sackler family uh wired one billion dollars from the company to their personal overseas accounts wow so i'd like to wrap this up by saying what's you know 
these guys, Richard Sackler and his family and Purdue Pharma and all these ex- executives, mm-hmm. killed about 500,000 American people. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, pretty directly by pushing these aggressive marketing strategies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These people would not have been prescribed opioids had it not been for Richard Sackler no. and Purdue Pharma and people like him. But yeah. they were, and they died from it. Yeah. So what's going to happen to them now? Nothing. Because they're billionaires. Yeah. Yeah. And from the money that they made by killing these 500,000 people, mm-hmm. they are now going to spend on legal defense. And they've placed lawyers at every single corner that they might get hinged sure. on sure. to just provide a buffer, mm-hmm. a legal buffer that will last forever, basically. Yeah, I mean, running out the clock, yeah. right? That's what the strategy is yep. here. And old Dick Sack is 75 years old now. He'll be fine the rest of his life. His family's going to be fine. He's got mm-hmm. billions of dollars in overseas accounts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sickening. Mm-hmm. It, it both, is sickening. I get sick that our legal justice system is this messed up, that mm-hmm. you can buy your way out of anything, do justice. I get sick that people can push lethal drugs on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... This... So this is uh, truly an awful uh, look, window to what reality is. And I think it's important to know, though... That this is not, this is not an isolated incident. Mm-hmm. This is happening all the time. Yep, and it's really sickening to see. Um, you know, let's just say it. Let's just say it here. What is today's date? September eleventh. How many people died on September eleventh? Around three thousand. We will remember it forever. Mm-hmm. We went to a war against it. Still there. Still there. How many people died because of this? About half a million. Nobody knows about it. Yeah. And when you see a, a drug addict on the street, you think to yourself, man, that guy's got to get it together. Right. You it's don't his think, fault. Yeah. It's his fucking fault mm-hmm. for being there. He did something wrong and it's his life and he fucked up. Yep. And like, glad I'm not him. Yep. You he don't needs think, to get his shit together. What if one day he got his wisdom teeth removed, was given 30 pills, yep. boom, because of brain chemistry, you get addicted, yep. and that's where you end up, you know? Yep. It's easy. And, and all that is because of people, like, you know, for mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. For money. It's all for money. And the the amount of fucked up shit um, that this, this just happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, that's something that I'm really struggling with. I don't know who listens to this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm pretty young. Mm -hmm. And every year I get a little more cynical and a little more jaded. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when it's going to stop, but maybe never. I don't know, but it's pretty depressing. Yeah. And I just see problems with the world. And I think there's this really interesting thing I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I see there's a problem. I listen to things. It opens my eyes. I go research it some more, validate it. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, this is a problem. But I don't know what to do about it. And I feel so little. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the cards are stacked totally against any semblance. Like, I feel like I'm surrounded by people that really just don't give a shit Mm -hmm. and all they care about is money yeah and i don't know how to get through to them 
that they should care about their fellow people. Like they should care about, they should care about me. They should but care I think about that's you. what it all is. We all feel isolated and we all we feel do. helpless. And so we all feel like we're just these tiny individuals up against this monsoon, mm-hmm. but we don't think that we are part of the solution because it's we so, are. you know, we've been isolated and it's so I mean, hard to think of us together. We have to be part of it, right? If we reach a critical mass, mm-hmm. something has to change. You'd think, yeah. And it, but the closest I've seen is these protests in downtown I Portland. Know, and I know. I don't know. I don't really know. So I literally don't know. I don't know if anything's happened because of it. But if that doesn't so. change things, I don't know what will. And then I get disheartened. You know, I'm going into the legal profession. I get disheartened when I see that rich people can just throw money at lawyers. Sure. And sure. Def- deflect off any kind of, sure. you know, liability to their actions. Yeah. Just with money. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I'm just going to bring it all up, I guess. But, like, you're talking about protests. I've honestly, mm-hmm. You know what's something that I don't see, like, what else is going to take to to say? So, so like, guns, mm-hmm. right? Semi-automatic weapons mm-hmm. for no reason except to make your dick look big, mm-hmm. feel big. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just say it. Mm-hmm. I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but it just basically, like... I don't feel adequate about myself. I've never had control. Everybody's always beat me up. Yep. With a gun in my hand, I feel powerful. Yep. So this is not me talking. Sorry. I'm just saying what I think someone like that feels like. Yep. And honestly, I can't think of really other reason than that. Right. Um, it's not for hunting. In fact, it's illegal to hunt with those. Right. Like you can't hunt other than with a rifle. Right. Like for elk hunting. You can't run out with a semi-auto no, handgun. No, it's illegal. Yeah. And, and people will snitch on you to like the forest like agent because they don't think it's fair. The other hunters. Yeah, right. 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 So they don't want that even. Right. And so like the only reason for this is to feel like you have power over others. Yep. And we're willing to take that give that to some random person so they can potentially feel power. We're willing to, to have that around um, and we're willing to deal with the consequences of children dying every year from school shootings. And I don't really can't think of much worse of a thing, Stuart. No. We I were talking about that the other day. I can't think, like, what is it going to take? Yeah. What is it going to take? And you know, if you're like, ask me that question, I'm like, I don't know, maybe walking into school and shooting a bunch of people. Right. Right. Nope. And, and to bring it back to our subject, what's it going to take to change pharmaceutical practices? If seeing walking down the street and seeing needles strewn across the ground, mm-hmm. we live by a place called heroin, Hill. heroin Hill because there's so many needles. If that doesn't make you stop and think, damn, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I don't know what will. I know. I know. And, and I think that's kind of this, this very interesting thing and i don't know how to deal with it is that i've seen the worst Mm -hmm. like i've heard the worst i've seen what i think would have to change it and and nothing happens and then so i can cope with it i totally check out Mm -hmm. i just stop stop it all right right and I feel like that's what maybe a lot of people do. Yeah. Because I don't understand another way. Right. 
to deal with the awful things going on yeah without checking out and then that's part of the problem it's a big part of the problem part of the problem is then we just all check out yeah the people that care check out and then the people that don't give a shit and have a problem and are psychopaths yep. they get to run the world yep and i i don't know what to do about it yeah no one does or we'd have it figured out right but it's and i mean i i try to say to myself that the best thing is then you contribute in your small way to society mm-hmm. try to make it a better place i'm not totally checked out you know i am doing things that i think will help people mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I still feel alone and isolated. Mm-hmm. It's a hard feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know why I'm depressed. Because I was thinking about this kind of stuff all day. Yeah, why'd you do that to yourself? It's already depressing with the apocalyptic sky. I know. You were just like, oh, let's get it. Bring it on. Just get yeah, it. Pile it What on. else you got, God? <laughs> yeah. Give me more. Yeah. So that's uh, Purdue Pharma, the opioid crisis. Christ. You know, um, there's a fantastic a special, a couple I think on John Oliver's yeah, last week tonight. Yeah, he's covered some good ones. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's where I kind of heard about it first. So, mm-hmm. and I think he talks about some references. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know, and. You know, let's tie this all back. Let's tie this all back. What about, like, I guess we can't talk about that. Never mind. Um, I wanted to say, that was harder than I thought. We have a Polish listener. Oh, we do? Yeah. No way. Yeah, like every episode someone from poland is listening really so that's to our, so cool to our polish listener i wanted to say zien dobry jakuje ya sluchani amazing that's so cute what i don't know what you said it just says hello thanks for listening Aww. i think probably in a horrible right yeah, but so that's so cool thanks person from poland yeah wow i didn't know that yeah we're, I think we see you i mean i think that's pretty cool part yeah. of the podcast part of me doing this is to like you know connect with more yeah. people and i think it's so cool that poland people in poland are listening to us that's really cool and poland's awesome i've been to krakow great city yeah yeah, yeah. you uh and the czech republic yeah you did that whole time thing in Prague. Yeah. And you got a t-shirt that says krakow i think it's my favorite shirt yeah blue purple yeah. what is it purple purple so yeah, hope everyone's staying safe. And if you're in the Pacific Northwest, stay inside. Keep your windows closed. Mm-hmm. Don't even look outside. Mm-hmm. Don't even think about it. I, I guess I want to leave on a positive note. Mm. And Good luck. it's hard, but I do think that the more you know, the more you are aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm the more you see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And educating yourself, I think, is the most important thing you can do. To see, and I think education comes first, and once that happens, you can't not try to fix it in your own little way. Right. And so I think what's so important is to just, you know, really 
challenge yourself and challenge others on their views and try to seek what what seems to be true and valid mm-hmm. and when you find that which i think i've um found some some examples of that i see that the world is kind of a bad place mm. um there's a lot of good things but there's a lot of problems mm-hmm. and we can fix them as a society mm-hmm. as a critical mass of people mm-hmm. we can change this um it's gonna be slow it's gonna be painful um but i think it can change uh or at least i hope it can so i think that's something really important and i think the first step to that is educating yourself mm-hmm. so can i put a little positive spin too of course i just want to say that while we were very low on the outcome of what happened 50 states did sue purdue farm right which is kind of cool 50 states got their shit together got over the lobbyists got over the salesmen Mm -hmm. whatever was working against them Uh and sued this company Mm -hmm. and it probably won't work no but purdue farm is not going to make any more drugs no done they're done they're done and and even though it didn't work this time Mm -hmm. it sets precedent the world is built on precedence. Mm-hmm. And so if for the last 50 years it's been like, I don't know, this is just the way it is. Soon we'll be able to say, no, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And that will be precedent. Right. Precedent will be the right thing, not right. this trashy right. fire heap. Right. And I do believe we're making progress. So Yes. I don't mean to be a bummer. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.